Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 119. Last week we made it through 88 verses, and we made it through the first 11 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and our goal tonight is to finish the remaining 11 verses of the Hebrew alphabet. If you weren't here last week, let me just take a minute and remind you that um, Psalm 189 is the longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapters in the Bible, 176 verses. And uh, it's called an acrostic psalm because the very first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is back on first verse of uh, 119, blessed Aleph. That would be equivalent to our A in, in the alphabet. The next one in verse 9 would be the letter Beth, B-E-T-H, and so on and so forth. Every one of the 22 letters um, have eight verses attributed to them, so do the math. You do um, uh, eight times 22, and you come up with 176. Thus, we have 176 verses in Psalm 119. Now, the psalm is primarily about the book that you're holding in your lap tonight, God's Word, the Bible. With the exception of two verses, this was very well thought out, very well planned, because all but two of them will have some reference pertaining to this book. Sometimes it'll say his word or his way or his precepts or his testimonies. Um, But without exception, they sneak in a reference somewhere to God's, God's word in all 176 except for two. And um, I'm a little concerned because uh, <laughs> we have 11 Bible studies to go through tonight because each one of them, what I did is I read eight verses and then I tried to lift one thought that we could meditate upon. And uh, so we have 11 different letters to go through. And um, let's begin We left off, uh, we did the first 88 verses last week. Let me draw your attention to verse 89 with that much of a background. And this would be the 12th letter, it's lambed, L-A-M-E-D, and we'll pick it up at verse 89 through 96. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth, and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all are your servants, and unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me. But I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Let's go back to verse 92. What I've lifted out of uh, this particular Hebrew letter is verse 92. It says, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I want you to turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, seven, and basically, the person is uh, who is ever writing this could be David. I kind of think it is David, but basically, what he's saying that he wouldn't have been able to get through his affliction, his storm, unless he would have had God's word. Now, the Lord tells a parable in Matthew seven, picking it up in verse twenty-four. It's the parable of the two builders. And the response when people hear God's word and apply it and take it in, those who do, and then those who hear God's word but don't apply it. So in verse 24, parable, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Psalm 119, verse 92, the psalmist is saying, unless the Bible had been my delight or God's word, 
I would have perished when the storms came, when the afflictions hit. So the idea here is this first person hears God's word, applies them, and what I'd like to point out, every person here, myself included, is not exempt from the storms of life. This is a good place for an amen, right? We're not exempt just because you're a Christian. Uh, It happens to believers and it happens to non-believers. Now, the second one, um, the first one obviously went through a storm. He was afflicted. But because of God's word, he was still standing. Verse 26, now therefore, now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on his sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Let's go back to Psalm 119, verse 92. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, unless I had God's word, when I went through my storm, um, I would have perished. Evidently, this writer is building his foundation on the solid rock of the scriptures. Can't change. And um, so verse 92, I I really think, ties into the the parable of the the two foundations. And so his foundation said, I'd I'd been all over with. Would have made it, could have done it. But because God's word was there, it ministered to me, and it gave me the strength to endure the storm that I was going through. 97 through 104 is... That's that 12. 13th is M-E-M. That's uh, the Hebrew uh, letter in the alphabet. And it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I have kept your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me and how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth and through your precepts I get understanding therefore I hate every false way. There's a lot we could pick and choose from from here. I've chosen to lift out 98 and 99, which gives the idea that um, he's being made wiser than his enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding and more insight than all of my teachers, because your testimony are my meditations. And verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. What he's saying here is because I know God's word, um, I know the, the false ways, and I know the right ways. And even though he might be saying I'm a simple man, um, because of your word, you've made me a wiser person. Now with this one, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, and lifting this out that as, um, give me a, a young born-again believer who has the Spirit of God in him. And you're going to have more insight, if you have a spiritual question, um, than the most learned professors in our universities today. And um, what makes the difference? The Spirit of God and the knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, well, let's pick it up in verse 13, what has just happened is um, uh, there had been this healing that took place. Uh, Peter and John were involved in it. And everybody was amazed by, by the miracle. Picking up in verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Hey, these guys are ordinary Joes from the Galilee. They're just fishermen. Uh, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So here's Peter and John. They're being extremely bold in 
proclaiming the gospel. They're not backing down. They're standing strong. And what, what was scratching and causing the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees to scratch their head is, where did they get that? I mean, they're, they're uneducated. Uh, they weren't in the seminary. They're untrained. And the only thing they, they could come up with is they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. But when they commanded them to go aside of the council, they confirmed among themselves, saying, what are we going to do with these guys? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. That's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it doesn't spread any farther than the people, we better severely threaten them that from now on they don't speak anymore in the name of this Jesus. Can't do that anymore. And they called them and they commanded them, you cannot speak or teach the name of Jesus anymore. And then Peter and John answered and said to them, you tell us. Tell us whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or should we listen to God who has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's your answer? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For this man was over 40 years old and whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Silver and gold have I none. Saw this guy every day. But in the name of Jesus, get up. Come on, let's go into the temple. And um, uh, this, this would, would have been the person that everybody knew. They saw him all the time. And now, this incredible miracle. Well, lifting Psalm 119, verses 98 and 99, uh, is saying, because of this book, you've made me wiser than my teachers. Well, the scribes and Pharisees were the ones that were threatening Peter and John, average Joes, but with great boldness, they were teaching God's word. In Luke 10, um, in Luke 10 it says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in his spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and you've revealed them to babes, even so, for it seemed good in your sight. The Lord says to him, I'm glad you did it that way, Father. I'm glad that the guys who think they have it, they really don't. And the ones that are, um, um, are, are humble and meek before you, babes, you've given it to them. First Corinthians 1. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren. There's not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Especially true in the Calvary Chapel movement. You know, the Lord took a whole generation of of misfits and hippies and beach bums and um, miraculously got them saved, and they were writing their own music, love songs to the Lord, and um, saved a bunch of us. Uh, And who were we? Nothing. We had nothing going for us at all. Zilch, nada. (laughs) Except we met the Lord in a real personal way, and um, it it saved a lot of people in my generation growing up. So... Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word, his testimony. Simple people are made wise by knowing God's word. All right, back to um, Psalm 119. And the next letter in verse 105 is none. And I don't think it has anything to do with the Catholic Church. I'm pretty sure about that, even though it's N-U-N. All right, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. 
Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. For my life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are in the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Well, I ask the worship team to sing this song. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lot of the songs we sing are lifted from the, from the Psalms. And here's one of them right here, and we, and we sang it tonight. Um, the idea of <clears throat> walking is here on a path. And so Isaiah says in Isaiah 30, your ear shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Um, I'm going to pause and try to apply this practically with every, everyday life. Um, there, there are moments and times that you have to make a, a split second decision. Lord, what do I do now? What do I do in this situation? And prayer should always be a two-way street. There you just shout one up. Now it's time to listen. And how it works for me often is um, because I know this book, the Lord is able to speak to me many times by just putting a scripture in my, in my, uh, in my heart, and uh, he will minister to me that way. Um, sometimes I don't realize the divine appointment is unfolding until it's, until it's halfway through. And um, I had a divine appointment. Judy and I had lunch at Applebee's today. And I had a divine appointment with one of, one of the employees about three or four years ago. And I thought I, the guy's name was the same on his name tag. And um, so I went up to him. And I said, hi, do you remember me? And he goes, no, why should I remember you? And he had no idea what was going on. So I began to tell a story. I said, no, no just wait a second. Your name tag's the same. And uh, you're tattooed up and down like th- this other guy that was here. How long have you been working here? And he says, three months. And I go, forget it. It's not the same guy. So I had to explain a little bit the story. I said, well, I kind of ran into a guy, and I couldn't tell the whole story. It was take an hour to explain the divine appointment that I had with uh, a young man that uh, grew up in Sunday school here, left the Lord, and um, that particular day, um, geez, I get started. If I get started, I'm sorry, I'm gonna be sorry I got there and I'm gonna waste all my time telling it. But I got the cat's out of the bag already, right? So um, long story short, he was um, ready to go inside and uh, we were fixing my car that had broke down. And um, Mary and Tim were there. We were waiting for the wrecker to come and pick my car up and so on and so forth. And uh, as Mary's leaving, she says, uh, Dwight, you need anything else? And I said, no, it's Sunday afternoon. Go home. Take a nap. And uh, this guy was sitting in his car. He gets up. And he goes, you're not Dwight Doville, are you? And I said, yeah, that's me. He goes, oh, no. <laughs> and I says, well, what do you mean by oh no? And he says, well, you know, I grew up at Calvary Chapel going to Sunday school, got away from the Lord for many, many years. I recommitted my life to Christ last week, and now I'm hearing you here today. And I said, okay, stop right there. You're telling me that you committed your life to the Lord and you're recommitting him as of just last week? And he goes, yeah. Well, by this time, I got it figured out. The Lord's, the Lord's in this. I said, okay, you see my car right here? This is all your fault. This is why this is happening. And um, I'm here to tell you this. The Lord heard you when you said you were going to give your life back to him. And this all happened today for a reason. And I'm here to tell you, you know that this is not a coincidence right now, that you made a promise to the Lord, and he expects you to, to stand up, up to it. Now, this is three or four years ago. So at the same name on it, still had the tattoos. I, was, I thought it was, I thought, was that the guy? I don't know. So I looked at him and said, you don't remember me? He goes, no. <laughs> it was a completely different guy. All right, so my point with that is 
a lamp unto my feet. A lot of times, uh, you're just going along in everyday life, and all of a sudden, you know, we are told to be instant in season and out of season. Amen? You never know when the Lord's going to want to pull you out of his toolbox and say, okay, this is a divine appointment. Are you listening from behind? Uh, you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walking it. Listen up, realize that the Lord might be doing something here, and then jump on it. And just, uh, just be flexible, uh, whether you turn to the right or to the left, or wherever you turn your feet. Jeremiah 6.16. I like this one especially. Stand. Okay, we're talking about walking in the path of light. Stand in the way and see. And ask for the old paths where the way where the good way is and walk in it. And then you will find rest for your souls. But they said we will not walk in it. Now this is from Jeremiah. And I like this for a couple of reasons. Um, let me preface what I'm about to say with what I call a chuckism. A chuckism is, um, this would be a chuckism. Blessed are the flexible, they will not be broken. It's a play on words that Chuck would come up with. Well, here's another one. Chuck would say, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. You see, truth is truth. It doesn't change. So we want to give you an amen on this? Uh, he, the Lord's not going to change. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. But here, as, as he talks about walking in his ways, it says walk in the old path where the way is good. And um, uh, there could be a lot said about that today as um, uh, governments, churches, in the name of being relevant, are seeking to change a course rather than stay the course. And um, so this, this one particularly ministers to me. In 1 Kings, talking about walking in the light, 1 Kings 2, it says, Keep the charge of the Lord your God and walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies. It is written in the law of Moses, and then you'll prosper. And all that you do, wherever you turn. Jeremiah 7, but this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and walk in my ways. So it's sort of a term when we say walking with the Lord or walking in his ways. The last first, one of the last chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21, and all the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All right, so that's uh, the one I lifted out of uh, this one here, verse 105. Let's go to um, 113. Uh, the Hebrew letter is Samek, S-A-M-E-K. It says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God and uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I will be safe. And I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You will put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. And my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Uh, verse 120 is the one that I highlighted here. <clears throat> and that is having a, in the in most positive sense of the word, a reverent and a, a holy fear for our creator, our, our Lord. It's an awesome thing to be in the hands of a, a, a holy, living God. I have a big problem with those who are flippant, with the um, am in contact with the big man upstairs, with JC, he's my best buddy. And there's sort of a flippancy there that's um, not reverent, and it's not, uh, in a sense, it's almost taking the Lord's name in vain because of the flippancy that's there. 
Um, having said that, um, the Lord says, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. In other words, um, uh, that's a good way to put it. I, don't, I not, not only take the Bible literally, but I take the Bible seriously. Okay, That's probably a good way to say it. I take it literally, but I also take it very seriously. Um, I need to encourage myself when I stand before people because I realize it could actually inf- have an influence on people's lives, and I take that very, very seriously. So I usually scribble in the corner of my notes, speak as the oracle of God, because I'm commanded to do so, and uh, don't back down from it. But then I need reassurance, so in the other corner I got something that the Lord gave Gideon, where Gideon wasn't sure he wanted the position or the job, and the Lord simply said to Gideon, Gideon, surely I will be with you. So I scribble those initials there. So on one hand, I have to speak as the oracle of God because this is his word. I, I take it seriously and reverently and literally. And on the other hand, I realize my own frailty and saying, Lord, you got to be with me on, on all of this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. Somebody want to say amen to that? So it's the Lord's, my job is to be faithful, to not add to or take away from this and speak it with authority and boldness and realizing, like Gideon, uh, that I got feet of clay just like I, everybody else. Job understood it. Job twenty-eight, twenty-eight, And to the man he says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. Psalm 111, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have, have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's Proverbs 1, verse 7. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor, then there's humility. Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I often quote it when I'm teaching through Revelation, and it talks about the seven spirits. And when you go back to being upon the Lord, um, in Isaiah 11, uh, when you count them up, there's actually seven. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge, and then it says, and of the fear of the Lord. All of these above, there's seven. And the last one, Isaiah 33, wisdom and knowledge will bring the stability of your times, will be the stability of your times, and the strength of your salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So there's a, there's a balancing act. Um, of walking in freedom and um, at the same time having a awareness of uh, we're going to stand before a holy living God and we get to give an account for every idle word we've ever spoken. So we're to- chose, told to choose your words carefully. All right, let's move on to the next letter. And that's in verse, back in uh, Psalm 120, verse 121. A-N, A-Y-I-N, eight verses here. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. And my eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold and fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. 
Let's go back to verse, what I left it out of this one was verse 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. And as I read this verse and I look at um, our nation and I look around and I see what's happening in, even in, in our community, I have to ask a question, how, how much are you going to take of this, Lord? Is it time for you to act? Because they've taken your word and they've made it null and void. And um, I'm concerned uh, about our country and uh, what's happening in our community. Um, yesterday, Todd Darling and I were at the Y playing racquetball. We had a good game, and uh, we had to sit down. We're, we're just cooling off, and we're just sitting down, cooling off. And he flips the paper over to me and says, check it out. And it was the front page of, of the Menasha uh, version of, um, uh, I would imagine our local people here, the Post Crescent. And uh, this is April 14th, and... Um, the title says, Menasha School Enact Transgender Non-Discrimination Policy. And this goes back to October 22nd of last year when a male student in Menasha High um, <clears throat> uh, decides that he wants to be, even though he's a male, he wants access to the women's restroom and facilities. And he made an issue out of it. So on March 12th, that's last month, a Menasha school tackles gender issues. So now one person, one guy, decides he wants to be a girl and he wants access to the women's restroom and changing room. I'll just read one paragraph. The Menasha school board is considering a policy that would allow transgender or gender non-conforming students to use restrooms change in locker rooms, and be referred to with pronouns for the gender which they identify with. Okay, and then now it's signed, sealed, and delivered. It's a done deal. Uh, This is yesterday, and this is what Todd flipped over for me and told me to read. The Board of Education unanimously approved a policy Monday that would allow transgender and gender nonconforming students to use restrooms of the gender they identify with. Now, if I'm, in, if I'm in high school and I'm a teenager and I'm a male, I definitely want access to the women's locker room, okay? And that's called being a male, an unsaved male. And so let's just make one thing clear before I take this another step farther. When the Lord created you, whether you be male or female, let me say this as clearly as I can, he did not make a mistake, okay? Let's say that you say that uh, you were born as a homosexual. And while I'm saying this, I'm actually going to have you turn to Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. Let's say that um, I am the way that I am because I was born this way. All right. Here's the problem with this. God would not write in Leviticus that it's an abomination for a man to lay with a man or a woman to lay with a woman. And then um, create you with having you think that you were born with the wrong sex. And then go right on along and say, now I'm going to judge you because it is a sin. So God doesn't make mistakes. You were born a male, you're a man. And if you were born a female, you're a female. God does not make mistakes. Amen on that one? Okay, having said that, um, I remember 1976. I remember Bruce Jenner finishing the, the Olympic trial in a triathlon uh, in the Olympics. I remember him turning that last corner. I was rushing. My body was rushing as this was going to be it. If he could win this race, it was over. And I was totally in the track and field in those days. High jumper, pole vaulter, runner, all of the above. To say I was in, into tracks would have been an understatement. And to see 
uh, Bruce Jenner turning a corner and winning it all. And now he's going to be interviewed uh, next week for a two-hour program because um, he has come out and said that he's really not a man after all. He's really a woman. No, Bruce, here's the issue. You were very, very famous in the world, and he had a lot of tension for a long time, but it's been a long time since 1976. And as far as I'm concerned, all you want is a little attention. And it had nothing to do with it, but you got a couple hours um, with an interview with some, somebody on, on TV. Let God be right, and let every man be a liar. If God's word said something, and it's, it's in contradiction to what you believe, God is right, and you are wrong. And that needs to be clear in where we are in our world today, because if you don't have that absolute to stand on, then you will become confused. And the scriptures are really clear on this issue, that um, adultery is a sin, fornication is a sin. But go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. It says, don't be deceived. None of these people are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I can't back down from that because um, the, the word of God is very, very clear on that issue. I don't care how trendy it is in our society today or what city officials are, are going along because of peer pressure uh, in the society in which, our, which we live. Um, many of you are dealing with it in, within your own families, and you are um, despised and hated because um, you're one of those people that care enough about that person to, to um, plead with them knowledgeably from the scriptures. Okay, well, um, anything else I want to say about that? Uh, Romans 1 is clear. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things who are not fitting. And um, so the Lord will wrestle with you. But if you continue hardening your heart, then eventually he'll just let you go. If that's the way you want to go, he'll let you go that way. All right, let's go back to um, Psalm 119. The next letter in 129 is just two letters in the Hebrew alphabet, P-E. That's how it's pronounced. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them, and the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is towards those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me, and redeem me from the oppression of man." that I may keep your precepts, make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. And on a personal note, I got so convicted when I read this last verse here, 136. Rivers of water run down my eyes because men do not keep your law. And um, we should be in sackcloth and ashes in a country in which we live. And when I read this today, I was, I was personally convicted. I'm not more grieved uh, when I see what's, what's going on in our country. And um, I have to admit, I haven't shed too many tears, and I should, should be. And um, <clears throat> I got an email today in regards to this, and I'm not purposely gravitating back to homosexuality, but uh, Robert Meyer sent me an email because um, of this letter uh, to the editor. And um, so, Robert, if you're not here tonight, maybe you're watching live stream, you and Rita. Uh, Bob's a, 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 a mailman, but he's also a syndicated columnist, and he writes. And uh, he's also often a contributor to um, letters to the editor here at Appleton at the Post Crescent. 
And he, uh, he shot this off to me this morning, and he uh, said, Dwight, I'm trying to get 20, 20 Christians that will respond to this letter that I'm about to read that was a letter to the editor. And then, if you would like follow-up on this, um, get a hold of the office here. We'll give you the link where you can respond if you want to. And um, I commend Bob uh, for he's already got his letter out in response to this one. I'm just going to quote it, and uh, it's only maybe a big paragraph long. My parents are, are as poor as they were, were still able to send their five children to a Catholic grade school. One of the many things told me by the nuns who taught me at the school I attended was that we were all created in God's image. Given what I was taught and then what I witnessed today in our society is that these words uh, meant once, were meant once for straight white folks only. The whole anti-gay business in this country today flies in the face of what the Catholic Church has taught for generations. Judgment Day will come for all of us when life ends. For many of you hypocrites who call yourself Christians, yet you're so biased, so filled with bigotry, your sins will be there for all to see upon reaching the gates of heaven as told in the Bible. You can practice your bigotry here on earth and pretend how holier than thou you are on the earth, but when judgment day comes, you'll have nowhere to hide. We are, we are taught and told we are God's children. We are taught and told God doesn't make mistakes. And when I read that part, that's what I decided I'm going to read this article because that's what I just said. God made you a guy? He didn't make a mistake. I agree with him here. He made you a gal? God does not make mistakes. And then judge you for thinking that uh, you can uh, gravitate to that lifestyle. So then he says, so what's your excuse for your obvious bigotry towards God's children who are simply different than you and I, yet are created in God's image the same as you and I? Let God and God alone be the judge, if you will, as to who is and who isn't a sinner. Well, what comes to mind, the first scripture is, my people perish for lack of the knowledge of my word. And um, the only thing that this young person uh, that I'm aware of is he really doesn't know the teachings of the book of of, uh, God's word. And um, so I'm sure Robert's going to point that out. And uh, he's... he sort of threw it out to me. He said, I'd sure like at least 20 other people to, to respond um, biblically to this person who, who wrote this. And again, um, a complete lack of understanding of, of God's word. And that's, that's really that, the problem that we have here. So if you would like that link, uh, that this is um, April 13th, so that's just a couple days ago. And it's an ongoing, ongoing issue. Back to Psalm 119, and uh, verse 137, we have, well, this one's a tricky one to pronounce. I'll just spell it. It's the Hebrew letter T-S-A-D-D-E. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright in all your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very fruitful, My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delight The righteousness of your testimony is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Trying to cover a lot of bases tonight, I gravitated back towards 143. And I'll tell you why in a second here. It says, trouble and anguish have overtaken me. Come on, buddy, suck it up. You're supposed to be a man of God here who's writing all these scriptures about God's precepts and his testimonies. No, this is real life. Here, trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet 
Your commandments are my delight. In this world that we're living in right now, uh, Peter says, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening. Hey, I'm a Christian here. Why is this happening to me? Lord, you're supposed to be um, putting a hedge about me and protect me from going through anguish and, and heartache. How come I'm having heartache and anguish? Now, we got some great guys in men's prayer. One of the comments uh, last Saturday was one of the brothers just saying, you know, we were talking about affliction when we were reading through uh, Jeremiah. We just started Jeremiah last Saturday. And I, I, I told the guys a little bit before we started, I said, I read a little bit of the introduction to the book of Jeremiah. He is um, um, a prophet that doesn't have anything good to say, and he is in grief and anguish his whole ministry. And there's no hope in his message except judgment that's going to come upon them. And that's what he had to do. They don't, they don't call him the weeping prophet for nothing. And so it was um, about affliction, how they afflicted Jeremiah. And one of the brothers said, it is so true. It was good that I was afflicted. It was good. Because until I was afflicted, I went astray. And then we're, now we're getting back to Jonah, aren't we? Is that what he said? He cried out from the the belly of the fish when he was afflicted after three days. Then he cried unto the Lord. My point with this is one of the scriptures that describe our Lord Jesus Christ, he wasn't attractive, number one. He had no form or comeliness that we would like him outwardly. And the other thing it tells us about it, that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And uh, I can't just even begin to wrap my head around the creator of the universe coming down to his own creation. And then, as it says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. I mean, here is his creation blowing him off. And um, he could have just said, okay, this is over. I spoke it into existence. I can speak it out of existence very, very easily. And he could do it. Instead, um, he was tempted in every way that you and I are. A- any grief or sorrow that you've experienced, he's experienced. And um, he is a man of sorrows. Um, but as we look at this one here, you think, what's your point, Dwight? My point is it's okay and it's normal if you have um, a deep night of the soul and where you're troubled, and you're experiencing, as we uh, read in this verse here, um, trouble and anguish have overtaken me. And yet he balances it out, yet your commandments are my delights. Again, the storms come, he has this book to put his life upon, and he is going to make it through the trial as a result. So don't think you've lost your faith or you're a, a subpar Christian because you go through a good fiery trial. Don't think it's strange. It's part of the course of being a Christian. How about an amen at this point? Amen. It's part of, part of what we signed up for. Um, the way is narrow and difficult. We always remember the, the narrow part, but we forget the difficult part. It's going to be difficult. Realize what you signed up for and following after the Lord. All right. What are we doing for time here? I'm actually going to make this yet. Okay, so uh, let's go to um, 145. And um, take the next Hebrew letter. I cry out with to, to you with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, and I will keep your statutes. I will cry out to you. Save me, and I'll keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. O Lord, revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness and they are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, 
and all of your commandments are true. Now concerning your testimonies, I have known of old, you have founded them forever. I'm going to pick up on 151 and um, this very important truth that just like Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, talk about a literal fiery trial, <laughs> thrown into the fire. Talk, but they wouldn't compromise with God's word. We're not going to bow down to your image. God, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to do it because God's word said we can't. So what happens? They get thrown into the fire. Well, Nebuchadnezzar looks in. How many guys we throw in there? Three. I see four. And the fourth one looks like it could be the Son of God. And my point is this, that you're going to be in the fire, but the Lord's going to be in there with you. Every New Testament teaching, right? Old Testament picture, literally in the fiery trial. But here... In 151, it says, you are near, O Lord. Let me drive this one home. He's not only near, but he promised. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You won't always sense his presence, but that's his promise. He can't, we can't undo the scripture. For Paul, when he was preaching at Mars Hill, for he was finding common ground with this, trying to find common ground with his audience there. For he says, in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets had said, for we are his offspring. You know, the Lord has sealed you by his spirit. He's promised never to leave you or forsake you. That's including the time that you're in the furnace where... Uh, what can I get sidetracked here? Remember when they were thrown in, they were tied up? Well, then it mentions that I see three men, four men walking about freely. So the only thing that was burned in the fiery trial were things that were binding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, as it, as it says, we're being purified like gold is purified. And when you get saved... What we need to understand is part of what we call sanctification. is a process where we, where we allow the Lord to burn away those things that simply bind you. And often that comes through trials and difficulties and afflictions. But know this, that in it, the Lord is going to be right there with you through, through the whole thing. And he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. Let's go to the next one, 153. We read, this is uh, the Hebrew letter R-E-S-H, eight verses for this one. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. And plead my cause and redeem me, and revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked. They do not seek your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous, and I am disgusted, because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. <clears throat> I lifted out of this one where you actually have the writer saying that he gets disgusted. In verse 58, he says, I see the treacherous. And, um, and I watch um, our, our, on things on TV. And when I got in mind... Um, um, disgusted about. I am disgusted when our president on the National Day of Prayer gets up and tells me he's a Christian and then for the next 10 minutes hammers on Christians. And um, when I know in fact he's not a Christian in any way, shape, or form and I'm personally disgusted that he calls himself one. So that probably rubs some people the wrong way 
but so be it. Now you know my true feelings towards that particular issue on a national day of, of prayer. And then when he wants to talk about Islam or Muslims, he can't do anything more but to um, uh, show his favoritism towards the Muslim Brotherhood. And um, I think he's speaking on both sides of his mouth. And it disgusts me, quite frankly. And now I've said my piece, and we better keep moving. (laughs) Well, somebody agrees with me anyway. The next one is the letter S-H-I-N. And in 161-168, uh, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. What I lifted out of this one is in 165, it says, Great peace have those who love your law. Some people know this, that you're always being watched. And they're, they're watching how you as a Christian are going to respond to difficult situations. How is he going to handle this one? What's he going to do with that one? And um, what I like about this is in the midst of the storm, what I see in the New Testament is Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and, and all the disciples totally freaking out over the storm. Lord, we're going to die. And we're going down and through all this great fear the disciples are having, Jesus is sound asleep up in the front of the ship. And they had to wake him up. Said, Lord, help us. We're, gonna, we're going down for the third time. And he simply gets up and rebukes the wind. And then there's a great peace. And then he looks at the disciples and says, what's, what's wrong with you guys? Where's your faith? <laughs> it's almost comical when you think about it. The Lord said, we're going to get in a boat here and we're going to go over here. And because Jesus said it, there isn't a power in the universe that's not going to stop that from happening. So he asked him, where, where were you guys at? I said, we're going from here to there. Chill. And uh, he, he took care of it. That's one of the great scriptures in the Bible. Even the winds and the sea obey him. Because he, can, uh, he created them and he can control them. And here in the middle of the storm, maybe you're going through a storm. John 14, peace I leave you. But then he clarifies it, not your peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. This is where the watching comes in. How are you going to handle it? You're going to have peace in a storm? Or are you going to overreact like the disciples? You know, the Bible says to be anxious for some things. Don't be anxious for some things. Know what it says? No, it says don't be anxious for anything. And uh, we get anxious easy when we should be having the peace of God that passes all understanding. Well, how come you're not freaking out over this situation? I don't know. It's the Lord's problem, not mine. And um, I belong to him. He's my property. He's got to take, he's got to take care of it. Psalm 119, verse 165, great peace, not just a little, a great peace have those who love your law. And um, that's one of the things I really admired about Chuck, just watching him from a distance, dealing with things. I learned more from watching Chuck than as great a Bible teacher as he was, and he's one of the best in the world. But just watching him, um, it's not necessarily what's taught, it's what's caught, is, was, was one of our sayings, watching from a distance. And uh, just, you know, laid back, you know, the Lord's gonna deal with it and take care of it in his own way and work it out to the good. That's, that's what his word promised, so I guess I'll stand on that promise and 
Let God be faithful to it. Believe it or not, we're in the last 22nd letter. And um, holy smokes, I can't, I can't quit before 8. That would, that's not biblical. 169, 176, the last one. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. And let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue will speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. And let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Here's the end of the longest psalm. In the last couple verses, it gravitates towards the writer recognizing he's nothing more than a lamb and a sheep that can easily be led astray. There's a reason the Lord called the sheep. It's because sheep are extremely gullible and easily can be easily deceived, and they have a tendency to wander off. And so the Lord talks about himself being the good shepherd, and he told the story of the 99 and one went astray, and that's the one the Lord went looking for. As we finish Psalm 119, and uh, there's a reason that the worship team sang the song, Come Thou Fount. They did it for a reason. They did it because I asked them to, because of this verse right here. Because in it, we are like sheep. And there's this verse in there that speaks to my heart so deeply about our human nature as sheep. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I am prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord, please take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. The writer of the song went through a period of time where he was backslidden. And as the story goes, he gets into a coach with a woman. And as he's sitting there in a backslidden state, I wish I had the story in front of me to read it. I'm doing it from memory. This woman across from him, just out of the clear blue, doesn't know who she's sitting across from. She's not aware that the song she's about to quote was actually written by the person sitting across from him. The author of Come Thou Fount went through a a bad time where he was backslidden. And this woman, not knowing what she was saying, begins to quote and sing Come Thou Fount in front of him. And it broke him. And uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Listen to the song, she said to him. It's a wonderful song. Can I sing it for you? And she began to go on and sing, Come Thou Fount. And it was nothing more than a divine appointment. Um, what was his name? David Jeremiah. Um, oh, Lord, help me with the title because I'm in trouble now for saying his name. Not the, not the, not the uh, Bible teacher, but the musician. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't do this, Dwight. You get yourself in trouble. He wrote a song that basically had to, had to do with uh, waiting on the Lord. I think that was it, just wait on the Lord. And a powerful song, we sing it. And he called me on the phone. We were, um, we were friends this many years ago when the song was famous. And what is it, what is it called? Ah, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me that word. <laughs> they that wait, there it is, they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. It's a beautiful song. I loved it so much. I said, we got to get David to come here. So he came once, and we became friends. And, and he called me on the phone, and he was going through this major crisis in his life. And he says, I don't know what to do. They that wait on the Lord. And I just sang it to him. 
And he goes, oh man, I'm so busted. I'm not, things that I wrote, I believed in and I'm not doing. Well, that's come thou found. And know that it's normal. We've read this whole psalm about the word of God. And so he sums it up by saying, I know who I am. I'm a sheep and I'm prone to wander. So seek your servant. Lord, come after me. Take my heart, seal it all up. And let me know that you're there. And, um, and then I won't forget your commandments. Let's stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. What would we do, Heavenly Father, without this book that you've given to us that you say you hold higher than your name? How grateful we are, Jesus, for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for Psalm 119, the many truths that can be gleaned from this psalm. And Lord, we pray that you would We know our our weaknesses and our frailties. Lord, with the psalmist, take our hearts and seal it. Uh, Seal it for your courts above. Lord, we long for your kingdom. We just pray that you'd strengthen us for this race that we're in. Give us endurance and perseverance. And help us not to be anxious, Lord, and help us to rest in that perfect peace that you've promised to give to those who love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.